We are inching closer to kickoff for UCLA at Stanford as they will face off on Thursday as both teams are coming off a bye week. And with that, we welcome you in to a Wednesday episode of Locked On Bruins. I'm Brian Fenley. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at Brian Fenley. That's Brian with a Y. You can email me at LockedOnBruins at gmail.com. Give me your thoughts on the football team and even maybe a game prediction or two on how you think they'll fare against the Cardinal who come in with a two-game winning streak. And then also hit that subscribe button because that indicates that there's a fan base out there. And yes, it's been tough not a lot to celebrate with the football team, but as they say, you stick together, people bond together, and it helps go through and weather through the the obstacles that you know obviously this team is having, but also you know the fandom is having. So here's what I have for you on the show today: the the Chip Kelly relationship with Stanford head coach David Shaw goes back quite a ways, and I'm going to provide a little bit of detail on that as a backstory for this matchup. Plus, Kenny Young, who was just a standout linebacker for UCLA from 2013 to 2017, he got traded yesterday to the LA Rams. And there was an interview I did with him on the Bruin Insider Show during his senior season in 2017 that discusses all the sacrifices, all the hardships that he had to overcome in his childhood. And I thought with him getting traded to the Rams that it would make sense to show you a little bit more about the guy beyond the the punishing hits on the field that he delivers or all the, the noise he makes on the field defensively. And then I'm going to finish off the show by talking about the basketball team. And Mick Cronin has done some interior decorating inside the Mo Osling Center. And I think that while it's a small, minute detail to some, that this actually is the best way to resuscitate this program. And it's going to change the culture and the mindset of this team and ultimately get back to what I think get them back to being a predominant force in the Pac-12 and get back to their winning ways in the conference. But first, want to start out with talking about the relationship that David Shaw has with Chip Kelly. Now, they have known each other for a long time. Obviously, they got to know each other in 20 or 2007, I should say, when, when Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator at Oregon and David Shaw was then Stanford's offensive coordinator. Once Kelly took the head coaching job, obviously, at Oregon. He had four consecutive BCS game appearances. And the first time when Shaw took over for Jim Harbaugh at Stanford, well, Kelly won the first meeting against Stanford. But then Shaw got them back, and that was in 2012 when he beat Stanford, or he led Stanford in a win, I should say, 17-14 in overtime against then number one Oregon and that game was played in Eugene and so you know I always find it it's so cool when you have like two guys that are competing for recruits competing for wins and the pressures of division one power five conference football and they're still despite all of this able to to find a a route to have a friendship and a level of revelry between each one. And even David Shaw has said, look, I think great coaches, you know, take stuff from other other coaches and use it for their own teams. And he admitted in an interview that we've stolen ideas from everybody. I've stolen ideas, he said, from, from Chip Kelly then 
anyone else because he thinks that Chip Kelly is brilliant. Now, as far as Chip Kelly's slow start this year, David Shaw said, you know, Chip will morph this team into what it needs to be based on the guys he has and mentioned that, that last year the, the offense was more under center and, and now they're working more in the shotgun and, and reiterated that Chip will do whatever it takes to, to help this team win in the long term. Now, I got to hit on this really quickly. K.J. Costello, who was the, the season starter at quarterback for the Cardinal, he is ruled out in this game. He had missed the last two games with a hand injury. And so David Shaw said earlier this week that there is no Costello. And then you look down the depth chart and you're like, all right, so who's next? Well, Davis Mills would be the next guy. But according to Shaw, he is questionable and doubtful, which that doesn't sound right. And if, if he can't go last second, then it's going to be up to Jack West. And he, this week, has taken all the first-team reps with the squad. And he saw his first playing action this season. He, he's a redshirt freshman. He saw his first playing action in the team's last game, which was a win against Washington. And that was when Mills came out in the fourth quarter with a calf injury. And so West came in there. He did not throw the ball. He just handed it off. And obviously, Stanford won that game. And West, because of the new redshirt rule, you can play up to four games and still redshirt. So West did play a little bit last year. In his whole career, he has completed one pass. So he's one for five passing. He has two rushes. That is it. And that seems to be all signs pointing to the redshirt freshman and Jack West to take the reins for Stanford as they right now, and I know this pains you, they have won 11 straight against UCLA and so if there's any time that could be one that could favor UCLA in this matchup I gotta think that this might be the case and what we've seen from the Bruins is that Dorian Thompson Robinson has been a full participant in practice he's taking the first string snaps so I don't know if we're going to see both him and Austin Burton or if DTR starts and if he makes a mistake then coach Kelly will be more likely to, to pull DTR and let Austin play but take note that DTR has been a full participant in practice. I want to finish off this segment by mentioning practice, but on the landscape of basketball. And guess who was practicing today at UCLA? The Golden State Warriors, and they were in the Mo Ostling Center. And, of course, Bob Myers, their president, used to play basketball for UCLA. And so there was a picture of Bob Myers ch chatting with Warriors head coach Steve Kerr and Chip Kelly stopped by to say hi. And then Josh Rebholtz, who was very high in the pecking order of UCLA athletics, tweeted out in a joking fashion. He said, well, I want to check with UCLA compliance to see if Draymond Green, who is one of the, the top dogs on the Warriors, can, can grad transfer and play for UCLA football, whether it's a defensive end or, or a tight end. And of course, He's making millions of dollars, so I think he's basically exhausted his uh, his amateur status, but it is something fun to at least imagine, if you will. Speaking of Mo Osling, there have been some changes with the interior of Mo Osling that Mick Cronin has instituted and why that actually might lead to wins. Yeah, little things like that leading to wins. I will explain later on in the show, but coming up next... A former Bruin in Kenny Young, you remember him as just a 
menace out there as a linebacker for UCLA. Left the program as a senior in 2017 after exhausting his his eligibility, and now he's in the NFL. He's found a new home in the NFL, and I had a chance to interview him when he was at UCLA. And we're going to talk more about his backstory, not so much X's and O's, but what you're going to find about this guy is he went through a heck of a lot as a kid, and he never loses sight of that as a way to inspire him as he continues to, to make a name for himself in the NFL. So that is coming up next. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Appreciate you hanging out with us here on Locked On Bruins. Brian Fenley with you. You know, you go back into the lore of UCLA football and you get yourself caught up in some nostalgia and all the great players who have come out of this program and many of them who have made statements in the NFL and had successful careers in the pro ranks. And one of them who is starting to make a name for himself in the NFL is Kenny Young. Of course, his last season with UCLA, his senior year was in 2017, the final year under Jim Mora. And Kenny Young was an outstanding linebacker, team leader in tackles, and a leader on the field for this Bruin team. And he was then picked up in the fourth round, a draft pick of the Baltimore Ravens. And then yesterday, the Ravens traded him along with a non-determined draft pick for, for 2020 to the L.A. Rams in exchange for Marcus Peters. So all of his fans that are rooted in Los Angeles are going to get an up-close-and-personal look at Kenny Young as he returns to Los Angeles. I am so stoked to, to watch him. When Kenny was a senior, he joined me on the Bruin Insiders show. And for as much as we revere him for his skills on the football field, I got a feeling you're going to appreciate him as a human being a lot more when you learn from this interview some of the struggles he went through growing up and how he was able to overcome them and use his past as a way to shape him for who he's become today. Here's that interview. Really inspired by your story, Kenny, and where you came from to now where you are at UCLA. How did your childhood mold you into the man you are today? Um, I think it was a lot of little things uh, that added up over time. Um, you know, as far as me getting, uh, getting my phone taken away for a day for not taking out the trash and cutting the grass, uh, me and my uh, other brother always got in trouble for that. Um, for going to school, uh, coming home, and the gas, uh, you know, the gas meters all all the way on E. My dad hated that. He hated, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know he he would punish us for it. Like he said, okay, well you can't go to the movies on the weekend or whatever it is. But what I realized what he was doing was he was preparing me for life, and he was preparing me for making right decisions um, to the littlest things to the, the bigger things whenever reality hit for me, you know, whenever it's college or post-college, whenever it is. So there's a lot of the little things add, adding up. And, um, you know, I'm from the South. I'm from, 
where, where there's a lot of hospitality, uh, a lot of people that if you talk to them, you feel like family already, just based off of, you know, a five-minute conversation. So, um, you know, I was surrounded by love, and I was surrounded by a community, you know, my high school, John Curtis, which is another family school. The coaches there, they also teach um, the kids at the school. So um, it, just was, it just was the people that was around me, like I said, that, uh, that helped me, that helped mold me to the man I am today. Well, and you have so much love for giving back and right. community service. And why is that so important to you? Um, I think it's, uh, for me, I always thought that you should be a server. Um, no one really remembers you for asking for things. You know, if I, if I was just sit here and ask everyone here for money, 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 be like, oh, that guy, all he does is ask for anything. He's, he's selfish. He's this, he's that. I didn't want to be a label. So, like I said, it was... <laughs> So my, my, my part of my childhood is that I was I grew up at the age of I want to believe um, 13, 12 years old by my best friend whose parents took me in as their son. They signed the papers for me to uh, to live with them, you know, so it won't be illegal. And they adopted me, and um, they knew my real parents. My parents, uh, my mom got evicted out of the project, so I didn't want to move with her. And I knew things were better if I moved in with my best friend. And my mom was raising me by herself at the, at the time with my other older sister. So, um, you know, I come from a poor family. So when I moved in with the Browns, um, who was my, I call them my mom and my dad. They're my parents. Um, you know, they, they introduced me to a whole new way of living and a whole new mindset. Um, to, to serving and to giving back because honestly, you know, on Christmas Day, they didn't have to give me presents. I wasn't their kid, but they looked at me every single day as their kid. And that to me was a big, a big, uh, important uh, moment for me in my childhood because I'm like, man, these people really not asking for any. Remind you, this is not a recruiting process. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not who I am today. It's just a kid. These people really take me in as, you know, their own. And that to me, I was like, man, you know, I owe them, I owe that back to them to how I treat people. And that's what they taught me. They always taught me to be a server, to give back. You know, if people need help, help that person. You know, and don't, don't always take away from people. Ask them do they need anything. That, that's what I was telling you about in the locker room. I asked the kids, you know, the young guys, if they're sad, you know, like, what's going on, man? You, you need me to talk to you because that's, that's real. That is life. You know what I'm saying? Whenever you can connect with people and try to, try to turn their weaknesses into strengths. So I was just built, I was just built on that, man. Um, you know, I always believed in, ser in serving. One role model for all of us, obviously, for you wearing Jackie Robinson's number. Uh, that number will never be worn again in a Bruin uniform. And you were able to put that uniform on for the last time last week at the Rose Bowl. When you walked out of the tunnel with number 42, knowing everything that it represents, what emotions did that conjure up for you? Um... It was less about emotions at the time. It was more about reflecting. Um, it was so many times in the middle of the game where I was just reflecting on moments and memories of, you know, good and bad to where the number had – I've been carrying the number since high school, since like my sophomore year of high school. So uh, I just, it just was a moment of reflection, and it just felt good to smile and to know that we have one more opportunity to, you know, win our, win our last game at home, and it'd be a record setter since 2005. It'd be the last time that I get to wear the number 42 in the Rose Bowl. Um, my family had came in town. They was here for a whole week, so they got to be able to experience something um, – you know, crazy happened where a 15-game tackle. I haven't had a high high tackle like that since since playing Leonard Fournette in high school, and I had 25 tackles. So just 15 tackles was a great honor and some great inspiration for for kids that was in that stadium for my little brothers and sisters. Um, you know, I wanted to leave it all out on the field uh, Friday night, 
And uh, we got a W, you know, and that was no greater way to end it with, you know, Coach Moore being out, obviously. But, um, you know, with the seniors, this being our last ride in the Rose Bowl, it just felt good, man. Um, you know, it's a moment to where I can only – I want. I'm so eager to p print out the pictures of, you know, Friday because it was so many moments, so many memories of, of the guys that has, has been with me through the ups and downs of my college career. But when you look back at the season as a whole, what are some memories you're going to hold close to? Um, man, I would be sitting here till two o'clock in the morning explaining them. <laughs> um, but I think the memories that I'm going to hold on to most is um, the way I've responded to adversity, whether that was with football, whether that with, um, you know, helping a teammate uh, figure out, you know, a tough week because, you know, a family member just passed away with my leadership. Um, whether with in my personal life, you know, fighting with school, uh, you know, because school is another big part of it. You know, we're here at UCLA, and you you don't get an A just because you're on a football team. <laughs> you know, you actually <laughs> yes. have to try here. You know, <laughs> uh, so um, it was a. Um, I think it was how I responded to the to the adversity and to the challenges in my life, um, and I and I was I was most proud of that, and I was most proud of that we took that same type of mindset with the team with, you know, Coach Moore going down in, in, one, in, in one week and Coach Jeff, Coach Fish being the, uh, the coach in, within the same weekend. I don't think people understand how much, um, how much mental impact they had on the team, but it was a great challenge for us as a team and for me as a responsibility as a leader of the defense and the team to get the guys to see the vision of the positive side of it. And I think the fact that we overcome that within a short week, because, you know, we played Saturday at SEEK, and then we had, we had a, we started practicing Monday because we had one less day to prepare for a Friday game. So uh, I think I was most proud of the way we've responded to things um, throughout the season. And I, I, I'm, I'm, for myself, I'm most, mostly proud of the way I've responded to the things in my life that, that was um, levels and, and on a journey of me re reaching my ultimate goals. So that would be the most, you know, the most uh, interesting thing that I've, that I've found in my memories here at UCLA. You know, I hope this interview provided an unfiltered look at Kenny Young, who, while he is a punishing hitter on the football field and underneath the football pads, he's a guy who really does appreciate where he is wholeheartedly. And he says it, he lives it out, and he'll never forget his humble beginnings and the struggles that he had to overcome just to get to where he is today. And I think that's critical because when you have guys in high-profile situations that never lose sight of the struggles that they had to overcome in their childhood, they're more willing to give back. They're more willing to want to help those that are in need. And I think Kenny has made that very clear by his will to help those around him who are struggling because he had in his own life had to overcome some challenging things. And so in that light, he stays connected and not detached from his childhood and the, the need to help others. And unfortunately, we see so many guys who get to the top of their industry and they become enraptured in themselves and they lose sight of where they came from. And then they are in a position where they could help and they just don't find it necessary or they just don't get it or they 
don't want to for some reason. So anyway, of our next segment, I want to emphasize the basketball team and want to look at that. In fact, Mick Cronin had some interior decorating that he did in the basketball gym, the Mo Osling Center, and how I think that that is actually going to translate by some interior decorating, yes, how that's actually going to translate to some wins and a really inspired group on the court this year. Appreciate you hanging out with us here on Locked On Bruins. Brian Fenley with you. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk some basketball in this segment. And believe it or not, we are closing in on the start of the season. November 6th, the season opener when we host Long Beach State. It's a Wednesday. It's an 8 p.m. tip-off against yeah, Long Beach State. And so before that, though, there is a preseason showcase that the school is going to do at Pauley Pavilion. It's open to anyone. It's free of charge. It's October 23rd. It's a Wednesday. Starts at 7. Doors open at 6.30. But I urge you, for all the information, to peruse UCLABruins.com and a chance to even interact with some of the current players. Now, as we focus on what this team is going to accomplish and their expectations this year, obviously there are varying projections of what this group is capable of. But Mick Cronin, in his five months or so since he's taken over the program, he's done some interior decorating at the Mo Osling Basketball Center. And for one, what he's done, and if you walk into Mo Osling, I mean, this is just as top shelf of a facility as you're going to find in, in college basketball, from the, the equipment to the resources and technology, anything, it's basically at your fingertips. It's just an outstanding recruiting you know, ploy here for the Bruins. And so when you walk into the main court area, there used to be blown-up pictures of players, the current players, on the roster. And so Mick Cronin has decided, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to replace those pictures with pictures of ex-Bruins who were first-round NBA draft picks. So I absolutely love this idea because, you know, you're thinking about this group and I think that this... I think this is a message that, that, that indicates to the players that, that it's not all about you right now, you know, currently, and that if you want to work with others, you can accomplish those things. You can get to the NBA, and you can get back to, to being a, a team that can compete for a Pac-12 title. And obviously, this program recently has not been up to speed as far as reaching the expectations that the Bruin faithful have for this basketball team. And so because the the program has not reached the mark recently, it can be hard at times, or you can feel like the success of yesteryear was so far away. And I think like we all have in our lives, whether it's like a, a sticky note on a refrigerator, a daily reminder helps us realize that, you know what, success is really not that far away. And so what, what I love about including kind of a, a, a montage of ex-Bruins who made it the NBA, you know, pasted along the walls of Mo Osling Center, is that the current players are going to look at those walls every day. They are going to be reminded that, you know what, we haven't accomplished anything right now, but if we 
developed that concept of team. And we deviate from the past where, you know, I even thought when you look at those current photos of the players in the past, it, it almost promoted individualism and, and me, 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 which, you know, in this millennial generation seems to be infecting our culture. But then it's a team sport, right? So I think you have to, like Mick Cronin is doing, he's kind of scrapping the the onus on me, 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 and, and saying, hey, you guys want to accomplish something? Look at each one of these guys who's come out of this program and made it to the NBA. I absolutely love this decision by Mick Cronin. And again, when you think of a guy who, who's trying to to turn this program around and, and the fact that this program has had the turnover it's had with a change of culture and, and coaches, there is always that, that point where you're looking for that identity. What are we going to be? Well, we're not going to be me, me, me. And, that, and that's very clear from Mick Cronin. And once again, it shows and is a message to the players that you know when you step into that gym and practice, it's not about you individually. It's about what all of us can do collectively. Because if we have that mindset, we can actually get back to the past in the winning ways and the dominating fashion that UCLA has been able to achieve. So plenty more to get to with basketball as we get closer to the season starting. Tomorrow, I'm going to point out my keys to the game for the football team as they will kick off at Stanford. And that's a a Thursday kickoff this week. So that's coming up pretty soon. But for now, signing off from Locked On Bruins, I'm Brian Fenley.